Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You know, that's the only reason we're here. You know, so that we can, we can look at him, encourage each other in him. I mean, this whole thing, me up front, you sitting there looking at me thing. Let's just look at him, you know. I feel like that's what we as ministers and just all of us, in any whatever facet you have to communicate Jesus to people, it's like we're artists, you know. We're just painting this picture. Look, look, look at him. Just look at, look at him. He's amazing. Can you do that? You know, because that kind of takes the pressure off of, I've got to be the one with all the answers. I don't have that pressure. I don't, I'll say I don't know in a heartbeat. But sometimes we minimize reaching out to people because we think we don't know the Bible. You ever done that? It's like, I can't pray for somebody. I don't know the Bible enough. I don't know what scripture to look for. You know what? You have the spirit of the living God dwelling within you. That is your teacher. Whether you know chapter and verse or not, you can love someone. And in loving them, God will inspire you. God will speak to you. And whether you can't... I know I say this. I'm really trying to help make this spirit-led life less mystical and easier because it's like we've tried to walk this spirit-led life with our intellectual kind of knowledge as if we're going to understand every little thing or as if we're going to hear a voice or as if it's going to make perfect sense. And it's not that it doesn't make sense. It's just a different kind of knowledge. It's a knowledge that's okay with just an impression of peace. So if you're with someone and you feel like, I have no clue what to say, but I feel anxious or there's, and not that you're just trying to make it about feelings, but it's what is it that is being expressed toward this person? And pray that way. I feel like this is for somebody. When you're with someone and you have a desire to pray for them, don't worry about what you're going to say. Matter of fact, they don't even care what you say usually. People, people don't remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel. And you can love somebody. You will walk out of here and you will say, man, that was great today. Oh, yeah, what did he say? I don't know. <laughs> and I don't, that's fine. Because it's Jesus, right? Amen. We've got this internal dialogue always going on. I'll say something and you'll start thinking about it. And then you'll listen. Five minutes later, you'll pick back up again. You know, I mean, that's, that's, everybody sees something different. It's like a painting going on. You, you, can, you can minister out of who you are, exactly where you are, because Jesus has qualified you. All of us. So we're going to keep it nice and light today and talk about whether or not you can lose your salvation. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't normally try to cover such specific topics like that, but I did give you the homework to read Hebrews a couple of weeks ago. And inevitably, when you get to the place where it starts talking about willful sin, people panic. They start to kind of pucker up a little bit, you know, and I've had questions. So 
I am going to not give you a necessarily definitive answer today, but again, I'm going to paint a picture. And if you didn't read the book of Hebrews, don't worry, we're going to read the whole thing today because it's like, <laughs> you know, they teach you in Bible college to have one verse and expound, and I'm like, no. So here we go. And uh, we'll still get out on time, and it'll be good. So, knowing that we are part of this new priesthood, right? Knowing that everything that we saw under the old covenant, that the sacrifices, the cleansings, the feasts, the, the uh, washings, all the ceremonies, all the laws were for one purpose, and that was to reveal sin and show you that you need a Savior, that you cannot keep it on your own, that one day the real thing would come that all this other stuff represents and would fulfill eternally and spiritually what all of this physical stuff does temporarily. So Jesus is not just the physical fulfillment. He is the spiritual and eternal fulfillment that all of that temporary physical stuff was pointing to. That's where we're going. So now we're under a new priesthood, and it's a spiritual priesthood. We have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of, of Jesus. So we're not trying to relate to God based on our sacrifice of praise, based on our tithing, based on anything you do in this physical realm. All of that stuff should only be one thing, and that is an expression of your faith. Everything you do in this physical realm is not toward God. It's from the side of God toward this place, toward this realm, representing God, showing Him, showing the world this is who He is. So you're not doing anything for God. What do you think He needs? I mean, does that make sense? You've been recreated a perfect spirit, and you live from that. So, here's what Jesus says about salvation. This is John chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 28 and 29. I think I'm going back and forth between NIV and King James. <clears throat> so, John 10. You ready back there? All right, John 10, 20, actually 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You know, notice he doesn't say, get your pen and paper out, and I'll tell you how to follow me. Amen. He just makes that declaration. My sheep know me, and they follow me. Amen. You are following God whether you know it or not. You probably follow God more accidentally than you ever do on purpose. But we're trying to intellectualize the process and think, God is telling me this, so I have to do this and make it about this physical carnal thing. And it's, you know, it's like, you, it, it, that's where it gets frustrating. I can't even explain it. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So in regard to your acceptance before God, your eternal redemption and 
you know, the past two weeks, if, if you haven't been here, go back on our website, forwardchurch.net. The past two messages are leading up to this. And we talked about how Jesus passed into the heavenlies with his own blood and obtained eternal redemption for those who would believe. So living from that place, taking Jesus at his word, in regard to your eternal redemption, it can't be just taken away from you. The devil's not going to show up and trick you into something where you're going to be snatched out of the Father's hand. So that's point one. That's what Jesus says about it. I'm not going to let you go. It's not going to happen. Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now the main point in what has been said is this. <laughs> you know, sometimes we think that the Bible is unclear or that... Um, you know, it's like, I don't really understand that. Well, Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, some say Apollos, some say Paul. Apollos was a better preacher than Paul back in the day. So sometimes people say because of how well articulated the letter to Hebrews is, it was probably him, but not that that really matters all that much. But I love this because he says, this is the point. All these past seven chapters, this is why we're saying all of this stuff. And it's about Jesus' priesthood. The point is, we have a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. That's the point. The point of the book of Hebrews is this. You have a high priest in the heavens that represents the true tabernacle, the true dwelling place of God, the true place where God meets with man, and that high priest has made you accepted in him. That's the point. So where we live from with God is under this new priesthood accepted before him in Christ. Everything else has to come from that. So verse 3, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy in the shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was named by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For, see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. In verse 6, but now has he obtained a more excellent ministry, better than sacrifices, better than law-keeping, is what he's talking about, by as much as he is also the mediator of the better covenant, which has enacted on better promises. And then jump to ver uh, chapter 9, verse 28. So the point is, there's a new priesthood. You literally are accepted in heaven and you belong there, and you live from there toward this place. Then he says there's this new covenant that's based on better promises than even what he made to Abraham. I think the, promises of, the promise of eternal redemption with God that can affect this realm now, what better can it, how better can it get? So verse 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 28 so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. 
You remember that thing where it talked about that he was a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? And that phrase Melchizedek means king or priest of righteousness. When Jesus changes this place and we stand before him in the end, it's not in reference to sin. For the believer, for the believer that stands before God in the final judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, your sin is not what's used to measure your existence from there forward because it's a priesthood based on righteousness. And righteousness does not come by works or effort. It comes by faith. So the only way in is by faith. And it has nothing to do with sin. I mean, I love how clear this is. It says when he, sh- when he comes and when he changes his place over, it's not in reference to sin. And everybody said, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Does that mean it's okay to sin? No. No. Sinlessness does not equate to righteousness. Uh, Let that sink in for a minute. Sinlessness does not equate to righteousness. Because if it did, you could be righteous if you just lived sinlessly. But righteousness is a spiritual state of existence that is given to you in the exchange in the blood of Jesus. Now, this is not an excuse to just not pay attention to this physical world and think that, oh, I'm whatever I am here, but I'm always accepted in heaven. You are, but someone that really believes that, your spiritual state of existence will manifest in this realm. And it's the only hope. You've got a sin issue that you're struggling with, then you need to spend time realizing what Jesus has done for you in your spirit. And grace will teach you to live outwardly from that place. I mean, we, we, you know, if, if, if you need to exercise some self-control and put some barriers in place to deal with those sin issues, then do it. You know, I mean, if you're a jerk, then maybe quit trying to be a jerk and <laughs> be nice. And <laughs> but we all find ourselves in whatever situation it might be, and you troll on through that situation, and then you turn around, and you're like, oh, my goodness, really still? I still talk that way. I still think that way. I still do that. You know what? So then there's this. Let's keep going. And this is where people, their brain falls out of their head and forgets that we're spiritual now. And that is the context of our priesthood and acceptance. And even when he comes back, it's not based in reference to sin. So having established your acceptance as a spiritual thing that Jesus has done, now let's talk about the sin issue. Hebrews 10, 26 For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. You know, and and it's like we we forget, wait a minute, let, let me not forget the spiritual context that I'm in relationship with God. Then let's make sense of this. Verse 32 But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. All right. The first thing is, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to a group of Jews that are fresh out of the law who are used to 
Whenever they have a sin issue, whenever they have something that they've transgressed the law, their annual Day of Atonement sacrifice, they're used to the system of, I've messed up, let me go down to the priest, make my sacrifice, that is my atonement. So he's telling them, all right, look, that's done. You can't go back down to the temple and make a sacrifice for sin because Jesus is your atonement. Jesus is your one and only sacrifice. You can't go back under the law. You can't go back under the system of doing something physically to try to get God to give you more forgiveness, to try to get God to give you more blessing. Now, we think, oh, yeah, those silly Jews, ha, 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 go down and sacrifice a bird or lamb or whatever it is. But we do that. I'll let you think about where you do it for a minute. You know, what we do is maybe you had a really bad weekend and you show up in church and you feel like, if I will feel bad enough during worship, then I'll show God how humble I really am and then, then I'll be back in right standing before him. Or if I give enough money, if I give until it hurts, then that'll move God. Those are the sacrifices that we do. Those are the carnal things that we put ourselves back under to think that those get stuff from God. And then what we do also is, okay, God, I'm praying. I, this person's life is really messed up, and I'm praying for them, and they, nothing happened. It's getting worse. And so then we say, God, why aren't you doing something? Or maybe you've got a sickness, and other people have that same sickness. They die, you live. And you say, why me? Why am I alive and they're dead? It has nothing to do with this physical system of living toward God. And our rationale is, you know, we all know those people that are good people but have terrible circumstances in their lives, right? And so sometimes we'll pray and we'll say, but they're so good. They're such a good person. Why did that happen? That's law-based mentality. That's, that's a thinking that says God relates to us based on our goodness, and he doesn't. Our goodness is filthy rags, and that's biblical terminology for something really dirty. That, that, that is your performance, good or bad. I don't care if from this day forward you never sinned again. God would not like you any better. He would not be moved to bless you anymore. What would happen is your heart would be so pure before him that you would stop hindering the Spirit of God from living and moving in your life. You would stop relying on your performance and be in such union with him in relationship that you just wouldn't have any more blockages. That's what sin does. That's why we need to stay out of sin because it hardens our heart. You know, the kind of creature that we are, we're perfect in our spirit. He gave us a new heart that's full of his laws, full of his knowledge. He, he has grace that is a constant divine influence on our heart. And then our heart is the real us. It's where we really believe from. The Bible says that it's with the heart that man believes. Out of the heart flow all the issues of life. As a, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So he gives you this new heart. But what we do is we sin or 
We try to go to God based on what we've done or not done or we, you know, whatever. Any aspect of performance. And what that does is it starts to harden and sear our heart where you're not pliable and you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, man, stay out of sin because it is damaging your capacity to hear from God. It is making you more and more and more self-reliant. And, you know, it, it, it ends in death. It does. Sin produces death. So what he's saying is not... All right, so let's look at this, verse 27. But a terrifying expectation of... So if you continue in sin, you can't run back down to the temple. You can't perform your way back up to acceptance with God under this new spiritual priesthood. The only thing that's left is if you consciously, willfully continue in sin is this. It's an expectation of judgment and this whole fire thing. What was I talking about? Let's keep going. Verse 35, same chapter, Hebrews 10. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now, I'm going to read two more passages, and then we'll go back and we'll talk about this fiery expectation and judgment thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, <clears throat> starting in verse 12. I'll set it up a little bit. Basically, what he's talking about is the final judgment. He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And earlier in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 6, he says, let's move past these foundations. And one of the foundations is eternal judgment. So it's important that we understand eternal judgment. There are actually a lot of references to the day of Christ, the, the eternal, I mean, the, the great white throne judgment, eternal judgment, and all throughout the script, all throughout the um, apostles' teachings. The warning is not you might lose your salvation. The warning is what's it going to be like for you when you stand before God at the end? That's the question that he's setting up here. So let's look specifically at that, what you're, what's going to happen when you stand before him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. This is what he's talking about in Hebrews when he says, there's only an expectation of judgment and fire. This is the fire. This fire that's going to test your work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. Remember he said, don't cast away your confidence because you need that to receive the reward. Verse 15, if any man's work be burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. So in Hebrews, when it says, if you continually continue willfully, it's not a warning that you're going to lose your salvation. It's a warning that you may suffer loss with all your wood, hay, and stubble that you've done, but you yourself will be saved. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And I'll, we post all these passages up, so if you want to go back and look at through these, um, the blog on forwardchurch.net. So 
2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may rec be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, not talking about whether or not you get into heaven or whether you're kicked out of heaven. It's talking about all of this wood, hay, and stubble, you know, gold, silver, all of these works that you've done. When you stand before the Father, they will be judged but here's the judgment. The judgment is not whether or not you get in. It's like the final last place for that sin that still weighs you down. For those issues, those mindsets that you couldn't conquer is burned away. All that stuff that we're holding on to that we think disqualifies us burned away. And because maybe you're still holding on to it, it may hurt a little bit. But very clearly it says you'll suffer loss, but you yourself will be saved. Is that good news? Because you have to know, you have to know this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And again, this is a bit of a uh, repeat of where we've been going. But if there is a warning about your eternal state. It's not based on your performance. We'll see what it's based on here. Colossians 1.21 And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by your wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. Just say that. I am reconciled. I am reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable in his sight. You have to see yourself that way. Jesus says to the Father, look what I've done. I've made them holy. I have made them unblameable. I have made them unpunishable. This is their righteousness. So when you stand before God, you don't answer to him of whether or not he accepts you based on your performance. He's just going to burn away all that stuff you couldn't get over while you were here. But then he says this. Where was I? Uh, yeah, in the, uh, Colossians 1, 22, to present you holy and unblameable. Verse 23, if you continue behaving properly, if you continue keeping the law, if you go to the right church and get under the right covering. Oh, Lord, help me. If you continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister. If, now again, I'm not trying to say, you, you know, one thing or the other. I just want to show you what the Word says. You go to the Holy Spirit. You figure this stuff out for yourself. If there's any condition, it's whether or not you continue in the faith in regard to your eternal redemption, whether you keep it or not. Can you lose it? I mean, it's like you are one day, you know, where did I put that salvation thing? You know, I mean, you can't be snatched out of his hand. You can't sin your way out of it because he doesn't relate to you based on your sin. The only stipulation that you can apply to eternal redemption is if you continue in the faith and the hope of the gospel. You make up your own mind from there. 
So then, let's just talk one more passage, and we're actually going to end early. Can you imagine that? We're going to talk about eternal judgment and end early. (laughs) Come on. 1 John 4.17. See, there's no such thing as a warning of losing your salvation through willful sin. The warning is about the judgment seat of Christ. You know, that's repetitive, but that's, what I, that's where we're going. That's what I want you to realize. You can't sin your way out of it. Is that good news? See, because here's the thing. If we could, nobody gets in. Do you know why? Because sin is whatever's not of faith. It's not behavior. Whatever's not of faith is sin. So if that were the context, then you have to be in faith toward God in every single thing that you do. If you get in or stay in based on whether or not you sin, then you better, every word better be inspired. You better be Jesus. All right, 1 John 4, 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I think the New Living Translation says this particular verse 18 this way. It says, If you are afraid of God, it is for fear of what He might do to you and shows that you are not yet fully convinced of His love for you. If you're afraid of God, it's because of what He might do to you. And if you're afraid of what He might do to you, that just shows that you're not fully convinced that He loves you. Never will I rebuke you, He says. Isaiah, you know, we've got God's not mad at you no matter what out there on the door. And religious devils scream at the top of their lungs at that. But Isaiah said that. He said, as a result of the cross, I will make a covenant of peace with you. It is an everlasting covenant. And at the establishment of this covenant, I will no longer be angry with you. And I will no longer rebuke you. Now, you know, most of us aren't Old Testament scholars, but it doesn't take much. You go read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Go read those verses and see how often God was angry with them, how often he rebuked them. He told them one time, he said, okay, you go over there. I'm going over here because I might kill you as you go. God doesn't change. We changed. God doesn't change. We're not saying that God changed. The covenant changed. The the way to God changed. The acceptance before God changed. And it's in Jesus. And Jesus is the propitiation for sin. Propitiation means the satisfaction of anger or to remove wrath. 
So Isaiah 54, he says, I will no longer be angry with you. We don't have a world that is now experiencing judgment and wrath from God because all wrath toward any sin has been satisfied. Earthquakes are not God judging this planet. Otherwise, he'd have to apologize to Jesus. He let a tornado slip through. Jesus forgot to take the judgment for that one. You know, I mean, it's like the gays in California are going to make the planet split in half and it's God's judgment because he's angry with sin. No. No. Just no. Just no. Is sin okay? No. Does that mean that God's okay with sin now? No. But the covenant has changed. How he, how he relates the system that he has set up is completely different now. And it's a spiritual system. And you have to come by faith. Sin has plenty of destruction power on its own on this planet. It doesn't need God's help. Let's quit blaming the condition of this world on God and do something about it. You know, this world responds. I'm gonna, you thought we were going to get out early. I'm going to preach here for a minute. <laughs> This, this world is designed to respond to mankind. You know, those of you weird science people, I, mean, I love sitting down and talking with Dean about this kind of stuff because there, there, is, there is, and I'm preaching my message two weeks from now. Next week I'm going to talk about the scourging and chastisement and all that kind of stuff, another really fun topic. Yeah. But it's in Hebrew, so I want to touch on it. Then after that, we're going to talk about faith, faith being the substance. But, but a taste is, is, is just that we are not in this world like pinballs launched out of the chute, bouncing around, reacting to this world. Science even shows that we have influence on this world. Your brain puts out electromagnetic waves. And what's going on in this dimension is actually influenced by what you put out. What you believe in your heart is coming out of you like an electromagnetic frequency, and it is creating the world around you. You know, Jesus said it this way, whatever you desire, when you pray, if you believe, you'll have it. He said, all things are possible to those who believe. There's something to this believing thing that we haven't yet walked in because we're still wrapped up in thinking that we're relating to God in this sin structure. And when you get out from under that system and realize you're under grace, it becomes a spiritual mindset and not a carnal mindset. Turn away from sin. Repent. Change your mind. Let it go. Tell it it has no place in your life and live from who you really are. Let's worship a little bit more. Y'all come on back up. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your peace. Just, just think about that. When we go back into this, let's do that praise as befitting. Do we have everybody? Think about this as we're worshiping our way out of here today. The blood of Jesus 
is a testimony in heaven of your righteousness. That that is your acceptance before the Father, and you're going to live from that place. That's part of the cross. That's part of understanding and gaining revelation on the cross. And what we need is not to learn more information, but the truths that are within us to manifest and expand into our lives. You know, the kingdom of heaven, we're not waiting for the kingdom of heaven to show up from out here. They, they were doing that back when Jesus showed up. They said, all right, Jesus, where's your kingdom? Show us. Bring that thing on down here. And he said, no, no. The kingdom of God does not come with outward observation. He, that's what he said. The kingdom of heaven is, you want to see the kingdom? It starts in here. You want to see abundant life? It starts in here. Then it goes to here. Then it might come back down here. Then you might let it out of here. You might twist it up a little bit up in here. Father, we just want to live knowing our acceptance before you, not taking it lightly, not using that as an occasion to the flesh, not using that as an excuse for sin, but use that to raise our level of responsibility, our ability to respond to your life and show this world your love. Show this world your power and show this world your kingdom. The way it works where you dwell because we're accepted.